this is your cyber path where the podcast that helps you get your dream cybersecurity job i'm kip boyle i'm here with wes schreiner we've got a guest today i'll tell you who that is in a moment but we're experienced hiring managers of cybersecurity professionals and this episode is available as an audio-only recording in your favorite podcast app. But it's also available as a video on our YouTube channel. So just go to YouTube and search for your CyberPath podcast. And then you can see all the visuals that we are offering you. Um, so this is the next episode in a series that's designed to tell you all about the way a cybersecurity organization is typically put together. And the idea is to help you find your dream cybersecurity job. So today we're gonna to talk about security awareness and training. That's actually a service that a cybersecurity organization is gonna offer. And in the service catalog that we're using, it's number 26, you'll, you'll see that in a few moments. Uh, you'll see it on the, the placemat slide that we're gonna share with you. And as I mentioned, we do have a guest today and uh, Wes, would you please introduce Gabriel? Oh, I'm glad to. Gabriel is joining us from, uh, if you'll jump slides here. Uh, Gabriel's joining us from Massachusetts, uh, where he is a serial entrepreneur. He has founded several uh, cybersecurity and IT corporations, companies, and uh, currently he's working on Wiser Security. Uh, he has... Uh, He's committed this part of his life to security awareness and training as a as a hobby, as a business, as a passion. And so I'm really, really excited to have him here with us today. He also wrote the book, Insider Threat Program, Your 90-Day Plan. And uh, uh, so, Gabriel, tell us a little bit about you. So, yeah, thank you very much, first of all, first of all for uh, inviting me. So, um, originally, I'm from Israel. Um, that's where I started my uh, cybersecurity career. I've had, I've been an entrepreneur most of my life, I would say, uh, since the age of uh, 21, 22, uh, except for about a year that I had to pay the debt of my first business that didn't go well, about oh. two years actually. So I had to pay that off and then I went back again to, you know, building businesses. So the one that is relevant for this conversation, you know, the two that are relevant is Wiser and Observe It. Observe It, I started about um, 14 years ago. So prior to Observe It, I was also a consultant, uh, more actually in the IT space than security. Um, and I was troubleshooting servers and, and issues that my customers had. I had a small consultancy company. And one of the things that I used to ask them when I came in was, okay, who was the last one to touch that server and what did they do? And believe me, that's a, such a simple question. And that's still today, such a hard question to answer. So the idea back then was, and I also knew to develop very good. I was a good developer. So at that point I said, okay, let's just put a, like a camera, a software, an agent on servers. And whenever somebody logs in, it starts to take screen snapshots. So next time if somebody's asking me, you know, what happened, we just go pull the screenshots and see who checked what box. And that went really well. You know, I started actually selling this as a product but very quickly, customers told me that they needed more for security and compliance than for troubleshooting because they had a lot of partners, remote vendors connecting to their servers, and they wanted to know, you know, what to do. And especially what there was this blame game and there was compliance requirements that required to uh, figure out, you know, to have an audit trail of exactly what happened. 
So the company shifted very quickly from an IT company to a security company and compliance. So when we were just doing troubleshooting, it was enough to just look at the uh, at the videos and see who clicked what. But when it became security, we added analytics and we started to actually understand what people are doing so we can create alerts and then use the behavior. And we became this biggest insider threat company, mm-hmm. uh, which eventually we sold about a year and a half ago to Proofpoint. We had a lot of customers prior to the sale. It became a really big company um, before, before it was acquired. So from a point where I was dealing with understanding human behavior inside the organization and figuring out and seeing what people are uh, capable of doing. By the way, most of the time, not maliciously, but you know, still they were putting the business at risk. It doesn't matter you know, the intent. They were trying to be productive, but by doing so, they were just you know, uh, breaking things and breaking and you know, overriding policies. Um, so from preventing and monitoring, for me, it was natural to be like, okay, we need to educate, right? Like the, the biggest problem is education because it's honest mistakes. Honestly, like, like every time we looked at something, yes, there were some like bad actors, but I would say 90% of the time, it was just honest mistakes. And there's this culture, right, of get the job done, right? That's the culture in the organization. Get it done now. So your concern, that's the culture. So you wanna make it happen no matter, you don't wanna come with excuses, but that culture conflicts with the culture of do it right. And in most cases, they didn't have an open door. So what do I do? Who do I call? Uh, They don't know. And it ends up being a problem where people just override and you know uh, bypass the security controls just to get the job done. And then they explain their logic and you know, (laughs) <laughs> it's, it doesn't help, right? Like after the fact. Right. Yeah, I've seen statistics that suggest that up to 80% of all security incidents are a result of an insider either being yeah. manipulated to doing something they shouldn't do or they made an error, right? And an yeah. error could just be a misjudgment or it could be a, they yeah. cut a corner. So culture, it's really interesting. I've noticed that uh, culture is such an important, such a massively important aspect of how secure an organization is. But uh uh, cybersecurity people in general, in general, right, don't want to do anything with culture. It's messy. It's really it's, it's messy. Most, you know, there's a saying that culture eats strategy for breakfast. Yeah. And and I, I believe that because, you <laughs> yeah. know, when you have the right, co- when people care, and, and we can talk, I can do a whole presentation about culture, but, you know, it's such an important, I would say it's a foundation yeah. of security. It is. I, I, I absolutely believe that without any doubt whatsoever. And, and in my consulting work, I really emphasize that by actually including uh, top influencers in a company as part of our assessment process because we want to know what they're thinking. And then subtly, we're also actually training them about what good cyber risk management actually looks like. So I'm totally on board. But it's hard, right? Like the thing is you learn and we're gonna talk about it as well. We turn up, we talk up, people think about cybersecurity technical. So we get all the certifications and we become this technical person that, you know, now somebody tells me to do culture and I'm like, yeah, yeah, you know, but you know, we have to close and patch the service, which is also important. But, 
you know, culture is just underserved. It and, is. And there's so much to do there. And I think this is a big part of the roles in the future uh, in the cyber. We, that's what's probably needed the most because I think all the technology solutions to some degree, they even create a false sense of security, I would say. Because it's sort of like that get rich a quick scheme where I'll buy something, I'll put it and I get, you know, and it will fix my problems. But right. it doesn't happen like that in life in almost nothing. So also, you're telling me the Office Depot commercial with the easy button, you're saying that was not true? You know, 100% privacy, 100% security, <laughs> all the VPNs. And the average person buys that, you know, they buy the VPN and then they feel comfortable yeah, yeah, they think that they're, they're not tracked. But have you heard about cookie? You know, it's like, forget about the VPN. Like, you know, yeah. and those that connect to free VPNs that are owned by criminals sometimes, that's uh, even worse. Yeah, I've got a whole rant on that. So <laughs> uh, we're having too much fun too early in the slide deck. So we're going to get a chance to dive in a little further in some of this in, in a few slides. Okay, um, man. I do want to call out here at the bottom, the, uh, the wisertraining.com and specifically related to that, there's a security awareness and training program. It is six chapters long. Uh, the chapters are light, easy reading, uh, and they will get you started in building your first security awareness and training program. If I were a young professional looking at one place I might consider uh, going directly into a security organization, this might be the direction I might go in. And if I were going into an interview for anything security awareness and training related, and I hadn't read the Wiser Training Manual, I would be unprepared. Uh, I say that uh, because this is the definition for what success looks like in this space. So, and, and let me uh, say, let me say, Gabe is not a sponsor of this episode. Okay, not at all. No, but we love what he's doing, so we want to make sure that we're showing him how much we appreciate him. Thank you. Indeed. So, I'm going to tell you a story from the farm here, Kip, because it's farm time. Yeah. And farm time today is coming to you from. Cancun, Mexico. <laughs> Cancun, Mexico. Yes. Uh, there, there's no farm in this picture. Today, I am coming to you from a uh, from a, uh, the other side of the continent, right? From Seattle. We are uh, here with my wife. We are here celebrating our 25-year wedding anniversary, right? And I know we talk a lot about the importance of work, and we talk a lot about how valuable it is to be successful at what we do. I'm going to tell you there's nothing more successful than, than being married to the love of your life for a long, long time and, and having her love you too. So uh, let me just say, uh, today's story from the farm is, is a, uh, an anniversary trip from the, uh, the shores of Cancun. That's so, fantastic. That's my... Congratulations on your wedding anniversary. That's amazing. Thank you. It's a lot of fun. Uh, it, and I appreciate you... Uh, uh, timing this episode to allow us to, to continue the vacation and and get it recorded. So this is fun. Well, listen, I just wanted to make sure, and I and I said this to you many, many times, I do not want to get into Mrs. Schreiner's, you know, I don't want to be on her crap list because I may no. best take valuable relationship building time to, to make a podcast. So, you know, anyway, I did my part. I... And let me turn that around and say, she knows I'm here because I love it. And she knows I'm here because this is part of uh, the fuel that, that burns my fire. So uh, she was really supportive of, of taking a, a, a time to catch a, an episode here. That's Let's great. jump in and see what we got today. Okay, here we go.
All right. So a reminder, this is the placemat of the security organization. There are 23 services of a common security service catalog. Uh, It breaks down into four parts of the organization. We're focusing in today on the governance, risk, and compliance placed on the left. Yep. Uh, And then you dive in deeper into the security and awareness and training service that is number 26 there. Let's go ahead and jump into security awareness and training. We're going to be looking at four parts to, to this service today. We're going to look at Cybersecurity Awareness Month. That's October. We're going to look at the required trainings. We're going to look at behavioral training. We'll look at skills training. And we might catch a couple of fun posters along the way as well, because there's uh, a lot of opportunity to push good posters out in Cybersecurity Awareness Month. I think uh, one of my favorite catchphrases is uh, 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 passwords are like bubble gum. You, you wouldn't use anyone else's or something like that, right? You wouldn't, you wouldn't share it with a friend. Uh, so passwords like bubblegum, don't share it with a friend. All right, let's jump in and, and see what we've got for Cybersecurity Awareness Month. Yeah, look at uh, all that in- propaganda. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this is a busy slide, I'm not going to lie. I, I did uh, catch a couple mm. different resources along the way. You'll see links there uh, if, I've, if I pulled them from the web uh, so that you can go look them up on your own if you want to. One of the things I liked about this this diagram on the left is, is it takes the month of October and breaks it down into, what is that, five specific areas that we want to emphasize and train on, and then one specific training point each day. Um, I, I also call out the, the posters across the top, think before you click. Uh, all of these are clever, they're relevant, and they're done. Uh, the most effective trainings are memorable, and they're fast, right? If I can't consume it quickly, I didn't catch it. What would yeah. you guys add to this? How how would you make that better? Well, I just love the poster with with it all broken out by each day because I could if you have a if you have this poster, you can create an email sequence that can go out to your entire workforce one per day throughout the entire month. And how how effective is that? I mean, the, the, ugh, marketing, branding, that's what this really is. You you want your message to stay front of front of mind. And I just think that'd be a great way to do it. What do you think, Gabe? I think, yeah, I think, you know, we need to think like marketers and we have to understand that this is messaging and it has to resonate. It's, you know, how does it resonate with the person? So always involve the marketing department. And that's, again, you know, those crossover skills that if somebody came from marketing, you know, and they can bring that ability to to deliver a message that resonates with the employees, um, like these ones, you know, that's great. So it's all about just what you say. It's about, you know, does it yeah. click? Yeah, and that's what I did too. Uh, when, I, when I became a CISO and I had to figure out what I was going to do for training and, and so forth, and we were always changing stuff. So I always had to let people know, you know, hey, we're gonna change your work experience because you know we're adding an additional log on or something like that. And and I made the typical tech guy mistake where I would just like, I sent one email, some one very well written email, send, okay, done. I've communicated, right? No. <laughs> so I went over to the to our marketing department and I just kind of you know humbled myself and I said, please teach me how to communicate. And they shared this entire toolbox with me and showed me how to do it and mentored me and walked me through it. I'm so much better for having done that. So Gabe, I'm so glad you mentioned that. Yeah, look, it's a multi-touch process. You know, like in marketing, we say you have to touch a person about five to seven times in order for them to remember you even before even, 
you know, listening to you. So they want to see you in different places. So again, we are, we need to use those marketing methods because it's our job, not just to communicate, to market it to the organization. We have to put a marketing hat and understand that we have buyers and they don't have to buy our shit. Like (laughs) it's, it's, it's up to them whether they want to listen or not. And we have to do a good, good job. And again and again, talk to them and do things yeah. and activities. Right. And, and my marketing hat was made out of, a, out of a, a day old newspaper, right? I didn't know what the heck I was doing. So uh, so if you're in the audience and you're thinking, hey, I got into cybersecurity because I like computers and stuff. And if I'd like, if I wanted to do marketing, I just would have went into marketing, right? I understand that. I totally get it. But at the same time, we're telling you the truth, okay? <laughs> this is We marketing. need each other. This is marketing. We need each other, and this is how we work together. And so if, if you're looking for the technical job, this is not that, that one. But if you have not spent a lot of time in, in the DOS prompt, then this might be the kind of security job that might be a great place to get started. And you're going to learn a lot along the way. And then if you want to hop over to a technical job, you, you just may well be able to do that. And by the way, there's no one badass, there's no one badass job versus the other, right? It's a teamwork it's not like, you know, a red team is better than something else because sometimes people want to be that, you know, they want to go to the red team. Uh-huh. It doesn't necessarily mean that it's, you know, nothing is better than the other. It's a team effort. Well, and- the red team thinks they're better than us. That's the problem. <laughs> nah. <laughs> nah, they're good guys. but They're good folks, right? You just, you, you have to leave the door closed. You slide the pizza under. You hope they come back out next week sometime. And that's, never, I, never, never let them talk to life. customers. Guys, playing defense <laughs> is harder. Playing defense is harder. We have to get, you know, try, try to play defense and see if you can stop those people coming in. You know, let's switch for a second. That's way harder. Right. It Definitely. is because the red team has to be right once and the blue team has to be right all the time. Yeah. So let's jump ahead and see what we've got. Here it goes. I think the next one here is this policy-based training, right? This is that initial training everyone takes every time they join a new company. This is that same training that is repeated annually throughout the, the lifetime of your, your career at any company. Uh, and it's delivered usually through the learning management system or LMS. This training is usually based on the acceptable use policy, the data classification and handling standard. And sometimes, uh, actually always, I think, it ends in a, an, a signature or e-signature acceptance. I acknowledge that I promise to be a Boy Scout in all these ways, right? Um, and, and that is really a, almost a CYA for your organization uh, to ensure that you have accepted and read and consumed those policies so you can be held accountable to them, right? Um, often these are company-centric voices uh, inside their company-centric trainings. So they're, they're usually done uh, by recognizable voices inside the company, right? It might have an introduction from your CIO, uh, and it might be uh, narrated by your CISO. Uh, there are rarely changes from year to year. There are very few changes, and those changes are going to be uh, uh, managed incrementally, right? And they might even be lumped into a two- or three-year cycle so that you're not updating this annually, right? And then lastly, it might be paired with your privacy annual training. So you may get, get both of those at the same time. We call this policy, policy-based training because it is based on those policies and is really about the organizational protection. Uh, what else would you add to this? Gabe, what do you got? Uh, a lot, but uh, okay, so... <laughs> 
moderate yourself. Yeah. <laughs> we only have an hour. It's about the goal. It's about what's your goal, right? If your goal is to check a box, and it is a goal, you know, sometimes uh, without checking a box, you won't land the deal because you haven't trained your employees or, so there's different reasons, uh, um, privacy, GDPR and all of that. So we have to distinguish between compliance and security and actually, actually wanting to change something, okay? So it's just two different worlds. Um, it if it's compliance and you just want to check a box, which is unfortunately what most, a lot, I, don't, I wouldn't say most, but a lot of companies are still at and smaller ones as well. They just need something fast and quick. Then um, sometimes they don't really care too much. They just want to cover the topics. And, and like you said, every year it's the same thing. People zoom out from this, click play, go drink water, come back. So basically nothing is really happening beside yeah. that box being checked. Yeah. Um, but if you want to do an act, if you want to like bundle this with actual value and, and educate people, then um, it requires way, way more than that. Maybe that's the next slide that we it can does. talk about here, but it's- it uh, does. Yeah. It can I, be paired with behavioral training. And I think we can do that here in the next slide. But before I advance to the next slide, I want to say that a lot of small, medium-sized businesses don't have an LMS. They don't have any infrastructure to do this. And so that's that that's an inhibitor for them, right? So, and and I I work with them all the time on this. And I I I I wish that there was a um an automated solution that was uh, at a cost that they would you know, that they would think is good in terms of getting that acceptable use policy every year. Um, oh, that's us. Yeah? We have well, a free LMS. <laughs> well, uh, what I was going to say is, is all my SMB customers who need, who need training, I, I, uh, I enroll them in Wiser training. Oh, thank you. Yep, I do. <laughs> I do. Look but, at that. but there's other parts here that are still missing, right? So um, anyway, I just want to acknowledge that for SMB organizations, some of this stuff is a little awkward, and uh, because you just don't have the scale of a large, of a large enterprise. That's all. SMB organizations—that's small to medium business—is that right? Yes, yep. that's right. Yep. That small has nothing medium. to do with joining a drive of any kind. All right. Uh, Samba. Yeah. <laughs> but here, I want to touch the SMB for a second because, you know, SMB serve large organizations, right? Mm -hmm. So, and what happens with compliance, you know, going back to this compliance, just to explain, you know, to the audience how it works sometimes, actually a lot of times. So the big company is saying, I'm going to work with you, small company, but I have to do my risk assessment. So we want to know that at the minimum, your employees are trained. So the small company is like, but I want to close the deal now. Like, That's you right. know, we have almost a PO, but we have to answer this questionnaire. So what they do is they just go and look for the, like the cheapest, easiest solution to check the box. They, you know, everybody has to like sign off and then they get the deal. But, you know, we haven't actually eliminated or even reduced the risk because the big companies eventually are being sometimes attacked through those small companies. So if I'm an attacker, I go to the small company and this is the easier way in because they are not trained. Maybe the big company did training and they're resilient, but the small company just checked the box. Yep. They are now this gateway 
and this big company trusts the small company. So it's all about trust. So this is how we just get in. And, and that happens on a daily basis where uh, attackers get into the bigger organizations to the smaller ones. So yeah. again, it's a pity that, you know, you know, there's the compliance is usually a result of like an intent, but we're not actually delivering on the promise. I work with SMBs all, all the time and I encounter that entire situation that you're describing. Yeah. Yep. What well, about behavior so training? I think, the, I think that's the answer, right? Is once we get past the, the compliance-based training and move into behavioral training, we start looking at how can we actually change behaviors inside our organization, right? These trainings may be uh, educational or they may be live practice. Mm -hmm. They may be job specific. They may be e-learning. Um, if, uh, if the policy-based training is delivered to every staff everywhere, the behavioral training is, is uh, targeted towards sometimes specific groups of staff and sometimes the whole, whole staff organization. And it's going to create and teach behaviors that we want to see in, uh, uh, become part of our culture, right? We heard culture, culture Trump strategy. Well, uh, I think that's, that's going to be true here, right? We're, we're designing culture when we're designing behavioral-based training, right? Yeah. And some of the examples of behavioral-based training might be some uh, uh, password uh, complexity training or, or how do we handle our, our two-factor authentication? Where do we hide the the post-it notes with our passwords. And if your dog passes away, what's your new password going to be, right? Uh, sorry, that was supposed to be funny. <laughs> kind of sad. Now, now I feel like a bad guy. <laughs> we lost two We lost two of our 17 listeners because, uh, you know, the, the dog thought there and now they'll, they'll all right. The, uh, uh, sometimes we're going to do anti-phishing in this behavioral-based training. And that's the one I want to highlight in greater detail today. This, uh, Phishing training is often done as a, uh, a live test done in your inbox that may be scheduled, maybe not, maybe informed, maybe not, uh, where uh, maybe once a month or maybe once a quarter, uh, a percentage or all of your staff get an email uh, requesting you to click on the link and enter your credentials. And for those who click on the link and enter their credentials, uh, that's the group of people that, that didn't pass the test busted. this time, right? Busted. Well, well, but let's think about that busted, right? Is it busted because uh, Bob clicked on the link or is it busted because we as an organization aren't talking about phishing and talking about the phishing threat and, ha and, and we haven't built it into our culture that we have a plan for how we're going to avoid it, right? I can tell if you the word on look, the floor is busted. Yeah. <laughs> it is it is I mean, it's a competition right most most employees see this as like a, a, a friendly competition right who's who's going to get caught in the fishing net so and the live practice is a great way to teach but it can cost relationships if it's done poorly if right that, absolutely correct absolutely correct and um you know it's funny i i hear people arguing both sides of this right the the security purists you know, for example, we're saying like you could never tell people that you're going to test them because it's you know because then it's going to bias the results or you know it's going to spoil the you know the whole exercise and so on and so forth and and these are people that are trying to catch people doing stuff wrong and um, well I all I can tell you is is that you're never going to be able to build working relationships that way. It goes back to culture, guys. You know, like if done wrong, 
it can hurt culture and it can have the negative effect. You want as a security team to have an open door for people. You, people need to feel comfortable to come to you. If you're going to try every day to not only trick people, but also punish them, you know, then people <laughs> won't come to you, right? No. And, and people will be afraid. And if you do it too much, by the way, people will be numb to a point that they will, even legit emails, they won't open because they will be terrified. Yeah. Well, so, you get to, so that's to the extreme, you know, but some people yeah. are like, you know, we're going to trick you all the time. And then people are like going crazy and they're just afraid they're deleting customer emails. Maybe it's, mm. I don't know. I'm not going to open it. Yeah. Right. It's a bad scene. It can get, it can get terrible. So it's really a question and, of, you know, what do you do first, fishing or training? For me, you know, that's, again, a personal approach. Uh, you train first because otherwise you're just wasting your time. Of course, they will click. We tell them to click, right? We send them stuff to click all day long. You know, that's what a company, that's what people in the company do. They click. We ask them, open the document. They send you a link. Yeah. That's our daily job. Yeah. Well, think about people in HR that are getting uh, resumes emailed to them as yeah. uh, attached emails all the time. Think about um, people on your accounting team that are getting legitimate invoices attached to emails all the time. Yeah. Um, sales, salespeople are constantly getting emails with Yo, purchase orders yeah. attached to it all the yeah. time. These people, I believe, are operating in a hazardous duty zone because yeah. they have to open this stuff up. And so my challenge to cybersecurity people is what are you doing to give them extra protection? Yeah. And also think about it. So you know what? Some people are looking at percentage because 100% uh, nobody clicks. It's just unrealistic. It's like, it's just, it's wishful thinking. And it's like saying, we're going to get to a point where people never make mistakes. It's like crazy to expect zero <laughs> there, clicks. There's but a whole, there's a whole category of insurance out there called errors and omissions insurance yeah. policies. That's not going away anytime soon. No, it's not. So think about it. Let's say you have a thousand employees and only 4% click. Okay. Not a lot. 4% click. That's 40 open doors for a criminal. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So did we solve the problem? No, we haven't actually solved. We only reduced the risk, which is always, risk is always a sliding scale. So A, we reduced the risk. The question is, it's about resilience. How fast did we respond to somebody clicking on a phishing email? Did anybody else report? How many people reported? So there's a lot of things going on when we think about phishing simulation. And it's, in my opinion, it's more about resilience to check the resilience of the organization to a phishing simulation versus the amount of clicks. Because 4% of people with no access almost to data Okay, versus let's say the other way around, 4% of managers with high access that clicked versus 10% of people with low access, like what's better? You know, like the 4% is more risky because they have a lot of access. So it's not only about how many people clicked, it's also who clicked. Yeah, which ones? You know, who clicked? Mm -hmm. That person had a lot of access. That's bad. That's a spear phishing. That's horrible. So... There is a lot to talk about phishing simulation. It can be a great tool if done right. Um, again, just like policies, sometimes it's looked at, you know, it's not going back to this culture thing. You know, like I said, everything is built on culture. 
So if not done right, then you sort of make it sort of like those policies, but even worse, because policies are just annoying if you do them for compliance, but uh, phishing done wrong can hurt culture and even get to a point where you're worse than you started. Anybody think we could do a whole episode on that? We're not going to. <laughs> I think it'd be great. That sounds like a lot of fun. Kip, if you don't mind going back, I want to highlight two things, right? One sure. is, um, if you do a phishing mail in February and you do catch five to 10% of your, your audience, how instructional, how powerful would it be to follow up with that a week after the phishing campaign with a here are the three to five things circled in the email that would give you a clue that that, 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 that was a phishing mail so that you can use it as a learning teachable moment rather than as just a, a treachery, trickery, you missed it uh, yeah. game. Oftentimes, uh, organizations that do phishing campaigns who, who don't do this follow-up, people never know that they were in a phishing campaign because they never clicked on anything. Mm -hmm. or And so we don't reward the right behavior and we aren't training the wrong behavior. So, totally. Uh, reward the uh, right behavior. Yeah. Yeah. And, and then the other thing I want to call out is any of these small, medium business companies, right? They, they, you talked about high-risk jobs. Uh, they're going to use SaaS providers for just about every outsourced function in the organization. Mm -hmm. And none of those are going to be domain-branded domains that they're going to be sending emails from. So we as an organization, as a security team, need to figure out how can we tag those incoming domains as friendly in some way in our exchange server so that when, when we present that email, it is from a known friend or at least a known friendly domain. Right. If, if there's some way to do that, that might be an effective tool in our arsenal. Yeah. And there's also some rules that better not be broken. You don't want to send phishing emails from the IRS or stuff like that because you're going to get in trouble. And, and the thing is that criminals have no problem doing it. Right. And they actually do it all day long. So there are lines that as company we cannot cross, first of all, legally. And second, remember that, you know, some people have issues and you don't want to damage them. Like, you know, you can be really nasty. You know, some criminals are really nasty. You know, something happened to your kid. They can, you know, sextortion. Like, there's no lines they are afraid to cross. And as companies, we, you know, there are some lines that we say, okay, we don't cross that line. That's just too much. And it's sometimes sure. just illegal, purely illegal. True. All right. Uh, let's jump ahead to the, the next type of training. This is a skills-based training. And this is, uh, we don't have a lot to cover on this topic, so I'm going to move pretty quickly. This is specifically designed for a group inside the company that maybe needs a specific skill to be trained on, right? How do I code securely? Or, or maybe how do we handle our, our own coding libraries? Um, uh, or maybe it's as simple as we're trying to change how the organization manages APIs and we're going to teach a new behavior to everyone about mutual authentication and encryption of our APIs, right? Uh, this is how we will standard do it in the future. Uh, you can often find these trainings available through a, a SANS type organization as well. Uh, so if you're a smaller, medium business, don't, don't be sad. There is all sorts of skills-based training out there and available to you. Uh, in the security arena as well. Yeah, so Udemy, for example, is a website that has a lot of training on it. Uh, Pluralsight Plural is another one. Uh, SANS training, so that's uh, used to stand for Systems Administrators 
and network security. I don't think they've used that. I don't think they've exploded their acronym in a million years, but uh, that's probably one of the best training organizations in our entire industry. Uh, uh, there's a much greater price tag than Udemy, but it uh, it's great if you can go. I think you can get what you're looking for from Udemy for the most part, um, but we can. there's lots of other great training options out there. Once you get involved and get connected, you're going to start to see a lot more options. But I think it's important to make that distinction, you know, be, between awareness and behavior changes than skill. It's very, you know, people mix things up. So skill, usually you choose. In most cases, like Udemy, you go, you choose something, and you actually want to learn, right? With awareness, in many cases, the company is forcing you to do that. It's not your choice, and everyone has to do that. So there is different challenges with those two things. One, you picked your own training, you want to develop in that thing and you learn it. And the other one, you're sort of forced to do that. So that's harder, you know, because you, many people don't have the passion for it and they still have to do it anyways. So how do we, you know, how do we overcome that? That's a, that's a huge challenge. It is. Let's see where we go from here. Oh, this one's gonna be tough. How have we trained behavioral changes in our world in the past, right? And I think about uh, when I was a, a young boy, my brother and I would ride in the back of the Ford club wagon van and we would wrestle while my parents traveled down the road at 60, 70 miles an hour in that Ford club wagon van. Yep. And we were just wrestling because my parents had pulled the seats out and made it a big open space for us I mean, to, to goof off. And somewhere along the way, we had learned as young people that if the car were in an accident and if it were to roll over, we didn't want to be in that vehicle. We'd rather be ejected out the window than to stay inside the vehicle. <laughs> this was the thinking of seven-year-old West. And it's my understanding that was a cultural thinking in that time as well in the early 80s, right? But But we began to see a shift in in uh, first the availability of seatbelts and then the, uh, the explanation of why they're beneficial. And then we saw influencers recommend it. And we saw a marketing campaign from our, our, our federal government. Uh, and then we saw penalties start to step in when, when seatbelts weren't in use and you were pulled over for something else, then you would get penalized for the seatbelt wearing also. And then it became a primary offense and you could, you could now pull someone over if the seatbelt's hanging out the door. And, and so uh, uh, the progression of teaching seatbelt behavior is such that today, seatbelt behavior is not really a conversation that happens anymore. For the most part, people are putting their seatbelts on, right? And it took a generation to get there, but, but we're there and, and nobody wants to be thrown from the car window when the car rolls over anymore. <laughs> Now we'd rather be, be be strapped securely to the cushiony chair as it rolls. And we've got and data showing. And we've got data showing that this is a better way. It's a better way. Right. And and we saw that with our fifty-five saves lives campaign that came out. I still remember the general standing with the, the baton against the, the American flag. Fifty-five save lives. Um and and we saw more recently Oprah start the the uh, the no phone zone right the the be safe uh, don't be distracted when you're driving, um, and we're seeing the early part of that campaign. Yeah. Maybe we're in the middle of that now, where uh, 
we certainly have penalties if you're caught uh, with distracted driving. Yeah, I I think this is an amazingly good example, Wes, because, I mean, look what's going on here. We're, We're seeing an orchestration of different approaches to sending the message and reinforcing the message, right? You've got marketing, right? You've got these campaigns, these memorable campaigns to get the message out. But then you also have penalties, right? So it's like, hey, we're going to give you the carrot. But then if that doesn't work, we're going to give you the stick. And uh, and all this stuff has to come together, right? So in cybersecurity, you know, you're going to do a good awareness or in, in, in training. But if people are resistant to that, uh, not just making errors, but are actively not interested in cooperating, well, you've got to be willing to go to the human resources department and and talk to them about, you know, where in the progressive disciplinary system do these people enter, right? Are, is it a first time, you know, verbal warning? Is it a first time written warning? Because, you know, if they catch you stealing something valuable, you're just immediately fired, right? So you can enter in that system in any at any level, depending on the severity of your offense. All I'm saying is that I hope you go and have a conversation so that when somebody deliberately doesn't pay attention to what's going on here, that you need them to cooperate, that you have a way to enforce. Yeah, I, w- I would add to that that, you know, just it's we talk behavior is eventually about acquiring good habits, right? It's, it's more about habits and those habits need to be, you know, in our everyday life, you know, you you know, I look left and right when I cross the road, even if there's no cars, it's just just automatically. And it's so hard to acquire new habits. It's just so hard. So first of all, I'm a big advocate of like starting at, you know, kids age, you know, school, family, you know, I hope to, you know, online safety right now, I think it's a major topic and it has to be addressed at school level. But for our older guys, um, it's very hard to change our habits. Therefore, I think companies have to choose one or two things because it's hard to tell them you have to change. You have to change all your habits, everything that is in this policy, 30 doc, yeah. 30 page document, because and we're going to tell you that we're going to tell you to read this again and again every year or twice a month or what? just impossible. So choose one, two things like, you know, think before you click and just emphasize it, you know, yeah. emphasize it. A and year is not too delivered. long. Yeah, have this delivered everywhere by the CEO when he talks in a town hall, by the managers, by having an ambassador program, just push the most important thing to you and make that behavior change because one thing leads to the other. Telling people we need you to change totally altogether in, in one training because we said so, it's just, again, unrealistic. It's not going to work. And and with that, I love the idea of don't dilute your message. Let's keep it focused and stay on message. Mm-hmm. Uh, I believe we started this episode with you've got you've to present it five to seven times in order for someone to hear it. Yeah. I think we're staying on message with that today. <laughs> and culture. You know, all of this behavior change, you know, it's culture. It's about your parents. It's about the society that you lived in where they're embracing the seatbelt or not. You know, if everybody's mm-hmm. embracing it, you'll just put it on automatically. If nobody's embracing it, you'll be like, you know, I don't care. Right. Okay. Let's see where we go from here. Ah, uh, this is a fun slide. I hope you I hope you can follow me on this one. I think this one's going to be uh, actually pretty helpful when we get there. 
We're going to start at the, the 10 o'clock position on the clock over on the top left corner there in the suppliers. This is our SIPOC, suppliers, inputs, processes, outputs, and customers. And we're going to work our way around the clock just like the, uh, uh, the SIPOC. So in the top left, our suppliers for this are going to be our policy stand, policies and standards. They're going to be our current outstanding risks. And they're going to be our compliance uh, customers, right? The folks who want to know that we did check the box, right? We're going to take inputs for that. Those inputs could be new regulations. They could be environmental changes or policy changes. There could be new attack techniques. Uh, we, even we can even filter in previous campaign results because we can learn from our previous campaigns and we can get better. And of course, uh, risk drives what we want to focus our training on. We're going to use our training to, uh, our processes are going to be course creation. We're going to, we're going to evaluate completion rate as well as uh, real world results on those courses, right? Maybe that's the phishing testing, right? And then our outputs will be uh, the training courses, the posters, the phishing campaigns, the, the October awareness event. And I think the most important outcome is the new discussions at the water cooler. Um, I realize we're in a COVID world where there is no water cooler anymore. So maybe it's on the Zoom side chat, right? Let's call it the, the new discussions on the Zoom side chat, right? And, and if we keep going around the clock there, the customers who are receiving these are going to be our, our compliance partners who, who require this kind of training. It's going to be our knowledge workers because if, if we're hiring knowledge workers to come in and contribute to, to the organizational knowledge, then teaching those knowledge workers uh, a way to think and a way to behave is going to be a big step in driving a, a secure culture in our organization. And lastly, I think the customer who's going to benefit the most is actually our real customers, because when we build a culture of security, our customers are going to be better protected. Yep. I dig it. I love the, yeah, the cooler. And, you know, at the end of the day, compliance measures, like you said, it's completion rates. But the real value, from my point of view, is, for example, how many employees came to you about a new project they're working on and they care about security? How many people came to you and asked if you have anything for the family? You know, just because they care about it and they want to train their kids. Um, that, you know, the inbound is more important. How many people are coming to you? That's a good, you know, indication about that things are changing, that people care. And that goes back to well, the time culture. I'm going to pick up on that for just a second. I think one of the most effective behavioral training campaigns that we can do is to have a security training on how to secure my home wireless router. That, right? that's it has nothing to do, do with work. You know, we haven't talked about it, but, you know, the biggest uh, driver uh, for security awareness for me is making it personal because here is the thing. Um, people relate to things that are personal to them, right? And the advantage we have in security awareness is that the threat actors fish a person the same way they fish a company. It's, just, it's the same threat vector, right? So if I can show you how you can avoid getting scammed in your personal life, you change that behavior because now you care, you don't want your WhatsApp to be, you know, uh, hacked or your text message or your phone or your AT&T or whatever that is. And you're like, oh, wow, this can happen because some people don't realize this can happen. And then you're like, what can I do? And then you teach them, they apply the same behavior. They take the same behavior that they apply at home, they apply it at work. So just much more efficient. 
to just show them how to be safe at home because they will apply the same thing at work. That's one thing. Second thing Agreed. is deliver it in the same way they consume content today, mobile, one-minute videos. That's what we do, one-minute videos. People don't have attention span even over than 30 seconds. So having them sit down and watch a 45-minute video training is like, you know, it's just, even if they can, even That's if they will sit, they will be zoning out. <laughs> so deliver the content on mobile, let them flip quickly, let them watch it, flip, go back, take, take their, you know, control the pace and make it relevant to them. These are like crucial things to make even the policy training that we spoke about uh, something that people will actually want to consume. That makes sense, I like that. That's a, a very thoughtful way to do it. One other thing I wanna highlight is uh, making it personal. Gabriel, you recently posted, or I think reposted, the contract that you might have uh, as a father with your children yeah. who are, or, or mother, right? Father or mother, yeah. but I guess we're all dads on this, this podcast, uh, with your children that would be, uh, here's how we're going to behave online. Uh, this is what it means to be a citizen in the internet community. And this, yeah. these are the things we will and will not do. Um, I love that posting and, and I think you've got it available on your site and as a, a download. Yep. Again, you know, maybe they won't follow it. It cannot be enforced. But, you know, again, we're telling our kids our expectations. We're setting them in this contract. There's not only the kid part. There's also the parent part, right? So we made it. You know, what does it mean? Privacy. What I will learn about it as well. So I won't be like, you know, talking stuff that I don't understand. So I'll educate myself. So there's like parts that the parents is also signing because it's mutual. Yeah. And it's, it's a really powerful tool because uh, either you don't need it now and you introduce it as a family and have the conversation, or you need it now and it's too late. Yeah. So, so that's, my, uh, uh, that's my wisdom on that one. I would say uh, go download that one right away if, you, if you're listening still with us. Uh, but we know 45-minute podcasts are, are the thing of the past. We, we learned that just now, too. What do we got for the next slide, Kip? You know, it's All mistitled. Right, we've got... I just noticed that. <laughs> Sorry forgive about us, that. everybody. Forgive us, everybody. We got ahead of ourselves. All thirty-seven or all seventeen listeners are 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 who are still with us. There's only uh, fifteen. The you scared away two before. We lost them with the dogs <laughs> coming. I'm I'm, I'm down here. They're all staying uh, with us. We're very good. You know, it's. Uh... <laughs> well, they're just running us in double speed so they can get through it faster. <laughs> the, this is the people of security awareness and training, and this is specifically uh, their roles as maybe a training lead or as a content creator or or as the phishing's administrator. Right? Uh, those are none of those. Those could be full time roles, but more likely, all three of those might be a single role. Um, the skills that might come into this role might be content creation. They might be still content or video content. And uh, uh, the skills are all about how do people learn and how do we teach? I think people have the tools. Uh, you know, okay, sorry, go ahead because I'm like excited. Go ahead, please. Jump in. <laughs> I'm saying don't, don't look for the role, okay? Like let's say you work in a company in a position and you're in marketing or you know how to create content or you like to draw at home or you think you're good at messaging, go to the security team because they're, I'm telling you, they're lacking the skills today. They're lacking them. So 
go there and tell them I can be of help and make that role because you're not going to be competing with all the very, very technical guys on one spot. Here, you have something that is evolving and it's a, just a huge opportunity for you to put your foot in the door. And if you later want to evolve to a tech you know, position, then pivot, but at least now you're in security. Yeah. And even more so, this is the probably most underrated, most important role you can possibly have in a security organization. Think about it, what other role is going to influence the culture and the, the people and the families of the people yeah. who are working at your company? Yeah, this is amazing. You're communicating with everyone. You're going to be talking to C-levels. It's huge power. Yeah, this is, a, this is an amazing yeah. role that I think, you know, just, just security teams sometimes don't realize they need to hire this. So just go there, suggest yourself, you know, if you're working even in the call center or wherever you are and you have those skills, say, hey, I had customer calls. I talked about this. I think I can really create awesome content and, and, and you know, you should. People in the security team will be like, wow, yeah, you can, can you do that? And you do it once, you do it <laughs> twice, and suddenly you're there, you know? Yeah, they don't want to market. Remember we said that earlier? They don't want to market. Yeah. Go to them and tell them you'll market for them. They'll love you. Exactly. Bring pizza. So, you know, just make it, you do it yourself. I don't know. I'm an entrepreneur. I'm always, this is my line of thought always, you know? You, you, make, it, you make it for your own. You don't go and ask for it. You know, you just do it. So this is just one uh, void that exists that you can fill. I want to mention one more thing is that if you're interested in security awareness and training, there are other jobs that you can pursue that are not baked into a larger cybersecurity organization. Look at Gabe. He is running a standalone training company. Mm -hmm. There are other standalone training companies that you could join and be able to produce great content. So um, you could, you could teach, uh, in another kind of learning organization, a university, mm -hmm. or, uh, you know, I, I'm sure I could, you know, start listing off all the different places that does training, but I think you get my point. And the point was well, well made, Kip. <laughs> well, what do we guest, got next? the guest gets the last word. Ah, uh, what have been the keys to your success? Um, Okay. Um, I think we surprised him with this slide. We should probably give him a heads up or, or, or something. No, th this is a uh, great question. So look, you know, depends on defines, first of all, define success, you know? Um, well, you can do that. You have the last word. What is success yeah. to you? So look, I'm, I'm, before I'm a security guy, I'm actually an entrepreneur, right? So I started, I started very young. I've been, optimistic and naive, which allowed me to move fast forward, you know, because I wasn't thinking too much all the time about what if and what if. And for me, it's like, if somebody else can do it, why can't I do it, right? Because yes. why, why not? Like, if I wanna, honestly, if I wanna own a bank, why can that person own a bank and I can't? Like, it's just a matter of like, do it and don't, undervalue yourself, you know, especially for the young folks that still don't have a lot of, you know, uh, I hope they don't have yet a lot of mortgage or ties, and then they can get out there and and really just, you know, it's, it's simpler said than done, but uh, 
you know, that being a little bit naive helps, you know, I, I can do that. And don't look, I don't like, so here I'm giving advice on the one hand, but remember that every person has their own path. I cannot even repeat my own path. What I'm doing right now with Wiser is completely different. The path that I'm taking with Wiser is completely different than the path that I took with Observe It. And that's true for everyone, you know? So listen to people, but, you know, listen to your inner self, what makes sense and, and experiment, you know? Don't just follow, you know, I need this a certificate. This cert I don't have a degree, by the way, you know? And I'm not advocating, you know, against it. I'm just saying in general, um, just follow your dreams. <laughs> it's, you know, it sounds like so, you know, uh, but I feel like Mary Poppins should start playing in the background. But it is, you know, like just ah, people are so much looking for the answers and for somebody to guide them. And they're not listening to their inner self about and, you know, just start doing something. You'll probably get it wrong. That's fine. And you'll improve. It's about progress. What matters is progress. Well, yeah, so, I mean, you are very transparent with us about the fact that your the, your first entrepreneurial venture didn't work out the way you thought it was. Oh, I had a few that didn't work out, guys, not just one. But, uh, and I was depressed and, you know, but again, uh, you get up and the question is, did you learn anything from this? If you learn something from this, then you're a winner, you know, because you're taking that as a stepping stone for your future. If you're just going to cry about it and like how I wasn't accepted or how it didn't work and why you're a victim, then you're a victim, you know? You, you just became a victim because you defined yourself as a victim. So it's really a point of mindset. So uh, it is. Sorry. I would add to that a, uh, a statement that things worth doing are worth doing poorly and awkwardly, right? Because they're still worth <laughs> exactly. doing. My, my entire career was zigzag. There's no straight line. That's just, just, it's a roller coaster and it was zigzagging. And I was fortunate enough, but I think part of my, you know, being fortunate is going that path. Because when you're zigzagging some, you know, you need to hit it once and then you have this base to continue and build. So, Gabriel, if you were talking to someone who is uh, in school currently dreaming of being a cybersecurity professional, what would you tell them to focus on? What would you recommend for them in their in their study? So, first of all, within like what we spoke about today, within this so, and by the way, my kid loves, you know, <laughs> yeah, maybe because of me, but he actually really, really loves it, you know. Um, and I told him, and before that, he loved music. And I always told him, you know, do whatever you want. Like, you don't have to be security, do music, whatever you want. But, you know, I guess from the things that I told him, he got excited about it. But he found his own path. He's more into, you know, specific things in security. So learn what do you like in cybersecurity and don't make it about money. It's not about oh, this is a hot topic, like learn, experiment before you decide to hone in on one thing and, and just, you know, practice, just do a few things. You know, there's a lot of, uh, just don't, re don't rely on the certificate only. Don't just, you know, try to prove people that you have a certificate. That certificate helps, but it's not enough. So, you know, work with the community. There's a lot of help on, you know, in the community that people are willing to help. 
So collaborate with people, talk to them, help others. That's an amazing tip. Help others. As you learn something, mm-hmm. find people to help them. Because when you're starting to help other people, you become better. It's just like that. And you're building appreciations and people start to recommend you and talk to you and you, and you become the center of attention because, and, and that's by the way, how leaders become. They serve others and they become leaders. You don't accept the leadership. Nobody puts the leader on you. The more people you serve, the better leader you are. So start small. Mm. Teach people, like what you guys are doing right now. You know, you're helping other people. You're not asking for anything in return. And that's how it works. So it doesn't matter if you're day one, you know, you just learn something, blog about it, write about it, uh, comment about it, ask a question, help other people. Because there's always people that are learning what you learning now, what you learned yesterday. You can help them. So Indeed. that's a huge one, helping others, honestly. So now that you know, you've learned it a day before they did. So now what do you wish you knew or what do you know now that you wish you knew then? First of all, I'm happy, like going, going back to being naive, I'm happy that I didn't know then what I know now <laughs> because I would have not taken that, you know, the risks are so big, at least in my, because I've been an entrepreneur most of my, most of my life. So knowing now the amount of risk I took, that <laughs> is probably means that I wouldn't have done it. I would have known how hard. That's why sometimes I don't like talking to like young folks and telling them, you know, they ask advice and I'm like afraid to give them, you know, to tell them what to do because I'll, I'll just share light on all the difficulties. And sometimes I don't like doing that. So I'm like, yeah, try that. Even though I know they will fail because failing is part of the journey. So I would say, um, again, I'm just happy that I didn't know then what I know now, honestly. Outstanding. Honestly. Very good. So Kip, what are our key takeaways for today? I think they are that security training is often overlooked. It's actually a life skill and it has huge opportunity to impact the company and the families that are supported by that company, right? This is a great area of opportunity for non-technical people to move into a security space. Uh, and and I, I hope we saw as well that this is uh, awareness and training is an outcome of what did we do last week in our policy, right? And once we have our policy set, we have trained our organization on that. Next week, we're going to look at strategy and architecture and see how do we apply that in our technical spaces, in our, in our plans, for the future. Over to you. Excellent. Excellent. All right. Hey, everybody. I, I sure hope you liked the episode today and the uh, the things that, that we shared with you, Wes and Gabe and myself. If you do like our podcast, uh, definitely go back and check out previous episodes. And I think you should also consider grabbing a free guide that we made for you, person who's trying to break into cybersecurity. It's called Play to Win, Getting Your Dream Cybersecurity Job. And what we did is we took the whole idea of capture the flag. And we said, you know, if you can capture the flag as part of your training, then you certainly can take those skills and apply them to the to your job hunt. And so that's what this 20-page visual guide actually does for you is it teaches you how to do that. And you can see on the slide here, a little excerpt. This is pages six and seven. There's four blockers we talk about. We talk about how to overcome each one of those blockers. If you want it, it's yours. Just go to yourcyberpath.com 
forward slash PDF. That's yourcyberpath.com forward slash PDF. Grab it. If you love it, I'd love to hear from you. If you hate it, I'd love to hear from you because that means I have to make it better. And I would, and, and I want to make it better. I want it to be something you guys are going to get a lot of use from. So remember, you're just one path away from your dream cybersecurity job. Thanks for being here and we'll see you next time.